Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Canadian singer-songwriter Craig Carter. Craig, I want to thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. I start off all my interviews with the same question. Where did your sense of music come from? Um, so from family, uh, neither of my parents played, but they're both teachers and they just made it important and like made it important. It was like, not the, the, the tiger mom make it important, but that kind of, it was like, you played an instrument. If you weren't playing an instrument, then you're going to play a different instrument because <laughs> you have to play an instrument. And, and now, uh, were you like uh, all children who were sort of rebellious against what their parents wanted? I, I wasn't. I wasn't that smart. I was. Uh, I was very bad, distracted, lazy student. And so I actually was uh, let go by my piano teacher, who um, I had a state-of-the-art uh, calculator slash Pac-Man wristwatch and. Uh, I thought I could get away with like checking it out and playing a few quick games during lessons. And, uh, and clearly I, I was misreading the situation because I just remember at the, she ended the lesson early, lovely woman. And she's like, you don't need to come back, Craig. You're wasting your parents' money and my time. And I just didn't, and I, I was like, it was something to that effect. Maybe she was a, the kindest lady. And I had this moment of elation. It's like the day you're told you don't have to go to Sunday school. You can choose to go. And you don't choose to go, of course. And then I had that moment, and then I'm like, oh, my God, I just got fired from piano. <laughs> I was like, what happened? And so, anyways, I was lucky to have, yeah, my mom babysat, and uh, she sewed to, to have lessons for everybody. And so we all played. And then for me, the, def the defining moment was going to a new high school and making friends through um, coffee houses and the, all the musicians, students. And... Um, I, rem I remember the moment where there was this uh, this uh, young woman who I thought was the bee's knees and she played a song I'd never heard before and it was Sinead O'Connor's Black Boys on Mopeds and I just remember the moment of being like like I don't know realizing I don't know anything at all and then also realizing like holy shit three minutes I, I gotta brush up on British history and Margaret Thatcher's an asshole like it, and I'm in love you know, within that moment, it uh, it coalesced. So, so yeah. this this was in high school that this this uh, this young lady came into your life. Grade ten, grade ten heartbreaker. Don't want to talk about that. But okay, no worries. Um, you did? Were you playing? So after in after that encounter, did you start playing on a regular basis? Did you form yeah. a band? Yep, uh, I was in a terrible band called Slow Glass, and uh, we had a gig that uh, where the electricity course through the microphone and nobody believed you and you'd call them over and say well put your lips on the microphone and then they would get the shock and then they would call somebody else over and then uh, I just ended up playing solo um, and I just I lucked I was so lucky in terms of friends who toured or who lived away who had bought my cassettes when they were at studying at University of Waterloo and so they would you know we had one fellow who's been a good friend uh, Mike Johnston wrote to me he's like i have a cassette when i was from working at outward bound and it has these three songs on it i'm pretty sure it's you and i'm sorry if you're the wrong person 
but I, I've been organizing concerts and he had brought up Sarah Harmer and a bunch of like just a bunch of groups uh, to, to Lakehead and uh, and I I misunderstood Thunder Bay as being close to North Bay so I'm like well of course you know what you can't say no to this and then when I realized what I'd committed to I'm like oh I should really check this stuff out but yeah there's those kind of experiences of like the three nights a week gigging uh, for forty dollars and food and beer, and then also leaving, uh, you know, sometimes for a bit less money even, but just those opportunities to play, and uh, and then building that to well to the point where people were paying for tickets, you know, heaven forbid. Uh, and was this prior to Judy Garland being released, or after? Uh, be after. Yeah, so Judy Garland was the third like the third thing i put out there was um uh two albums one was an ep called bunch of names and then another one was called stuck up in our space and so i was gigging that whole time and and uh yeah it was i mean i, I mean nobody knows what they're doing when they start but i, I really didn't know what i was doing because i you know i put together that album rec literally recorded it and then left for eight months. I played like two shows, and then I'm like, and then I went on this big, like, silly Ravada trip around the world, and then came back and just kept making albums and going back to school for a bit, and then working and making albums, going to school for a bit, and that pattern just kind of kept going until music was uh, more profitable than uh, than my day job. And the one thing I find fascinating about your story, and I, I've watched interviews with yourself to prepare myself for this interview, and I did watch your TED Talk asterisks, uh, with uh, where you did one with uh, Dalhousie, one in Ottawa, and I believe one in Kitchener, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, your writing style is so unique. It's so off the cuff and so personal. Has that always been the way it's been for you, or is that evolved since you've started out in your music career? I don't know. I still feel like I, I, um, I feel like I've got a handful of songs where. So I remember another like it's like the 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 things that shape you. I remember reading um, Leonard Cohen and Paul Simon lyrics that were in a writer's craft book. And I didn't, I wasn't familiar with either of them. And then when I found out that they, and I remember just like the words were so strong and such like good skeletons. And I remember wanting to do that. And I don't think I've, like there's maybe five songs I feel like that have that like, you can you can take them out of the, the meat and the muscle and then they're, they'll stand on their own. And uh, yeah, I feel like sometimes the off the cuff part, it, it's, uh, it's this balance of getting the crowd's attention and and genuinely, like I, I, I want to connect with people. I like, I, I miss it so much. Um, but there's times though where the comedy or the shtick of that takes away from the. What I would I like? I don't want to be like I'm not a serious artist, but the idea of like, you know, I, I want, I want to be known for the music. And sometimes, the, the comedy or the the chaos of the shows, become the draw. I, I had it happen in Alberta where people were coming up and they're like, can you do the song for the couple where you just write this, you make up the song for the couple. And I'm like, yeah, we're, for sure. We're going to do that. It, probably towards the end of the show. You could tell they were disappointed. It's like they had somewhere else to go and they just wanted to, 
they're like we, we just wanted we, we only want this like, just dance monkey dance <laughs> so so i i appreciate you saying that about my writing i feel like i i still need to i don't know like i don't know if you're a fan of tears for fears but at, at the song everybody wants to rule the world i love that song and i was chatting with my friend mike evan and we were pre- we were rehearsing before a, a new year's gig and he just said lazy writing and i'm like no it's not it's tears for fears it's the best song you've ever heard mr mike evan and he's like 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 there's just missed opportunities within the lyrics it's inferred but it's like uh if it had just been given another six months and attention and that's where i feel like i uh, a few songs I've achieved that with, like "Wait, Maybe Love," literally was written in an afternoon. Um, I was supposed to be do, teaching a workshop at a, a school, and I arranged some stuff just because I was, I was in it. Like it, it's one of the few times where the song, whole song came. Uh, Lake Michigan. Um, I feel like that's, it's like it's one of the, the the strongest songs that I've gotten to write lyrically and and uh, in terms of connection. And I want to keep getting better at that because I, I know I can. I've got to ask the question because I'm a fan of the song, but where did Miss Ohio come from? So Miss Ohio is a cover song, and that's Gillian Welch. Um, oh, okay. Let me, yeah, and this is the other embarrassing thing, where when you cover people's songs that you're in love with, and then people are like, when you write it, you're like, ooh, no, it's something else. Uh, but I love that. Well, I just, I love her. And... Um, I just love the line, like I love the line, um, had your arm around his shoulder, like a regimental soldier, and mama keeps pushing that wedding down. Like the whole picture's painted of like what the rules that were pushed on women and a men to a certain degree and um, the idea of just not wanting to give a fuck and just yeah. wanting to like, to, 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 to feel and, and be in life. And I, I find it interesting that you just said painting a picture because I find that with your songs, even your newest song, Yellowknife, that just came out, it is a picture that you're painting for the uh, listener. And when you're listening to the lyrics, and I, I've listened to it over and over again because I've become such a fan of Yellowknife, um, it it paints a picture of a story that you're telling the audience and you can imagine it in your head. And it's very hard to come by artists who do that so when you're painting that picture of writing a uh, song writing uh, uh, the melody around the song is it hard because you're trying to paint that picture so vibrant for our listeners i mean i would hope it's the other way around like i I want i want it to stand on its own I, i feel like when i get hit by the bus and my daughter and my nephew are like talking about me at some point or like oh he was an okay guy and you know blah 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 he paid for our prices but when when they're talking about the work that I got to leave behind that'll hopefully like live on a bit longer and and look after them I want it to um, I want it to have weight the idea that, like you could pull me out of it and it, it'll just keep living in some way and the reason it would do that isn't because it's the perfect phrasing it it's because there's it's like um I've used this before, but but the best analogy is like you, the the coat that wasn't yours that you got from the coat check at the end of the night that you put on and it was it just fit perfectly and you don't realize it's not yours until you're home because you've got a bit of a buzz and the band was perfect and it just fits you and that's where I feel like if you can achieve that within a song you take enough of your ego out of it and don't try to be clever be authentic but make space for the listener to be like. Well, I, I thought it was something else. 
you know, and, and make it theirs. And actually, Yonef is an example. It's interesting because this weekend there's eight different um, groups that are are over 48 hours are going to shoot the music video for Yellowknife. And uh, I haven't met any of them yet. I'm on call for like shooting video or whatever, throwing paint on myself, whatever they tell me to do. But the idea is like, I, I'm so excited to see what they, what they think it's about, especially because they're from there and it's, it's their place. And like, I, that if, if, if there's a, uh, there's many places in the world where it's ripped open and there's magic and Yellowknife is one of those places. And, uh, I've spent so much time talking about it at shows about little stories and quirky stuff. But, um, that's why I needed to write the song to like put out some of the, um, the images. And so I, I don't know how people, I mean, the fact that you've painted it, I, that's great. And I'm excited to see what these, uh, filmmakers and Yellowknife come up with for us. Now, Yellowknife, was that one of these songs that came over a period of time or was it something that you sat down and were able to just put out in an hour or two or in an afternoon? Because with some art, some music, it can take days, it can take weeks, it can take years. So how did Yellowknife come about? Yellowknife, I had the, the, um, the chorus. I had the, well, I mean, the chorus. I, I was, I've been so hesitant to write non-lyrical sing-along choruses and it's something that I, I i i listened to my whole body of work and i'm like okay well let's what are other elements that i can can bring in and also just the joy of like teaching 500 people that line and feeling it back to you and so the bum 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 ba -da -da -da, i had spent so much time trying to put lyrics over it and to fit them around it and and so you know like the the trick is never get stuck just keep going and so if you don't have a word that rhymes just Ba ba ba, your way through the the the, the rough version, and so that's a, that's what's stuck in the end. Um, the other parts, I mean, the album the album was started and was mostly done right on the edge of the pandemic, and we just had all this finishing work, and so part of it for me was like having sat with these songs and performed these songs for such a long period. And then being in this really crazy new space and just wanting to make sure the words lined up right. Um, it was like everything was written above the, the, the bomb shelter and then we were all in the bomb shelter together. And I, so some of it changed and certainly dar like not darker, like the whole album. Yeah, it's like darker and bigger than I think I felt than I've allowed myself to feel comfortable sharing. I don't, I don't know your experience with writing, but. I, I start I've caught myself so often saying well I can't cover like I wouldn't do it that justice or I I, I would get called out on my politics um, I or whatever like whatever it is like and it's a confidence issue and certainly now more than ever we need to, to stand by what we write and and it has and it has to it has to like align but when I catch myself in the moments of like oh I I, I'm not going to be able to write it. It's like, well, that's that's what you have to write them. That's what you have to push through. By by the sounds of it, and I'm just uh, doing, uh, quote, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. By the sounds of it, we have an album that's going to be released here either in 2020 or 2021. 2021, spring 2021, and right now we have four singles that are going out um, everywhere, and then we're doing uh, a really neat experiment by releasing. Not, I mean, it's it's not new. It's been done before, but in a digital platform, releasing 
what would be called like sleepers or not radio friendly um, and targeting playlists in Europe and South America and Hong Kong. Um, just because about 60 to 70 percent of my listener base on Spotify um, is is not English, like, or, like, you know, European, South American. And so that's been exciting for me, the idea of like not having to, well, just being able to share more of the music over a longer period and, uh, and sharing it with different groups slowly as singles. And then when the album comes out, um, you know, it'll have more traction than it would be if we just put it out all at once. And, and I find it interesting that you were talking about how uh, your your fans are around the world and they're not just in English speaking uh, uh, parts of the world, but music translates to different uh, languages. So you, you can put out a song in English, but people will pick it up in different languages. So uh, do you take pride in that, that your music has been so well received, not just here in Canada, but around the world? Yeah, I mean, I feel... I feel so lucky. Like I, it's that's makes for a terrible interview response. It's like some guy who's just like I'm lucky. But so, I remember being six, and my mom was visiting. Uh, it was August, and she was visiting with her friend Linda Huber, and she had just I don't know how she had seen it, but she was talking about this amazing idea that a guy like Don McLean could write songs, and that it would make enough money that he could live without performing. And I just, it's like the things you sit there as a kid going like, just taking it in. And, uh, and she also said it was like the, 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 the Eureka moment for her was, and, and his kids and his grandkids will be able to go to university because of those songs. And I remember that stuck with me, that kind of reverence or uh, the power. And that's like, that's, that's magic. If you can, make something out of nothing just an idea and that can uh, emotionally open you up and I, I like I I hadn't remembered that story forever and I, when I met uh, a fellow who I'm working with now his management uh, Tom Sarek and he you know he's worked with like Lou Reed and Cake and all these bands that I'm like a, wow. a huge fan of and but he when he when he uh, contacted me, he's like, uh, I like all the songs that are doing really well, but I want to understand that here's the songs I really like and here's that don't, um, that aren't popular. And I want to, I want to change that. And I hadn't remembered this, that story or that experience of like the, the power of words and creation. And he said to me, like, what, like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to realize what at age four or five, however old I was, that to create a body of work that would uh, that would go on and, and like hopefully be of some service to people hopefully and you talked about how this new album the new songs that are going to be released on it for them that are coming out here soon this year are a little bit darker uh, one song that you released earlier on this year right right as the pandemic or just a little bit after the pandemic hit COVID-19 was To Be Safe, Loved and Home and this is a song that you've been uh, uh, playing for some time now was it a conscious choice to release it during the pandemic because it has that such a uh, unique uh, feel that uh, to be safe, to be loved, and to be home during this is all you really need? Yeah, well, I mean, that was it, 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 that's to the credit of, of Jeff at True North because um, I came, I was in James Bay 
I'd come back from doing shows. We we're right across from Polar Bear National Park. Like I was looking at my GPS, I'm like, like this is actually a provincial park for polar bears. They're like, no, it's just it's a lot of land. <laughs> like, <laughs> we assume there's polar bears there. But I just had this like mind blowing experience and I was just watching and, and super isolated and I could feel you know, the students I was working with and writing with worked at evening jobs and they were talking about people hoarding and I'm like watching the news and everything was crazy. And when I came back, I just, I, yeah, I just, I shut down for a few weeks and uh, Jeff was like, start working. Jeff and Jordan from True North were like, start working. This song is good. Tidy it up. It It's going to connect with people. And so instead of spending money on the video, what they did was they took the same budget and um, they donated it to the Musicians Unison Fund. Um, so every video we got from people was like $50 to the Musicians Unison Fund. And um, it, to be honest with you, I think it, it, our hope was that radio would embrace it more. And the interesting response we got was um, people don't want to hear anything new. Everybody wants something familiar right now. And, and also, I mean, everybody was trying to figure out how the hell to run things from our homes so i think that was part of it but um that 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 pushing and i remember being like well it's things are hard jeff like i don't know if i want like how are we going to record remotely and he was just like okay well so weak like like you're you know like get on it and and you need people like that as part of your team you know or as your friend base who are just like okay good yeah and keep going like forward and uh and he picked that song out, and uh, and I'm hopeful it'll still get to see see life. I mean, part of it feels weird and opportunistic, um, but uh, who knows? I, I'm, I'm worried that we're all going to look back at this period as a lot of urgent art being made. That was like, um, it's like, you know, putting our hands over the candles because we just need to feel something and we're worried and nothing makes sense. I think there's some people who are really hitting it like Gillian Welch, um, her new, her newest, and Sufjan Stevens. But I mean, maybe those albums were recorded six months ago. You know, just waiting into who knows. Well, and that's the thing. I've been speaking to a few artists, and they were getting ready to release something. But like you said, no one wants to hear anything new right now. It seems like they want to hear what's uh, old and what what has been around for some time. So they, when they were deciding to release new music, it's hard because people might not have the appetite right now well so this is my question i think that people have the appetite i think that um i think that one and i'm guilty the most guilty of this is that i've had my head so far up my behind in terms of you know trying i hate the word but pivoting and i've always done workshops and so now i've just been doing work working with school boards and doing workshops remotely and you know, there's part of it that's been great because I don't have to fly to Alaska. Like I was supposed to be in Alaska two months ago, and I'm like, I saved three days and two thousand dollars, and you know, I got to do the work with the kids. And so there's there's like those moments that you have to celebrate. But there's this other piece of like, um, I don't want to play another Zoom show. Like I appreciate being able to see you and speak with you, um, and I. And I just feel like there's this like really messed up thing of people looking at themselves, trying to project and and pretend that it's like we're eating the food at Ikea on the, 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 the model tables and it's wooden and it's not real. And so part of me just wants to stop 
I've got a handful of like private shows that they're just a nightmare to to coordinate for the presenters. But um, so I've got a handful of those. But I don't. I, I guess where I'm going with this is the idea of like how do you launch an album? And I, I think it's fans. Like re, that's all it's ever been for me. Is like get 50,000 people who consistently show up over the last 20 years and give you 10 bucks, 20 bucks a year and reach out to them and ask for help and just say like, I've got this great album. I think it's amazing. You should too, you know, get behind it. Cause the reality is I'm, I'm speaking out of turn. I hope, hopefully we won't push it any further than uh, spring 2021, but I don't want to wait for touring to come back. Me, and me, me either, and I, and I, I will, I will uh, agree wholeheartedly that uh, this, these interviews over the internet are getting uh, worrisome, and I don't want it to become the new norm. But for, but see, so where? Let, let me argue the other side for a second. I would never have been able to, um, to have done a remote workshop in James Bay or in Alaska or in, I mean, like it, it's always been the experience of going there, and you. Usually I write songs about the place and I, I, I you know, kind of tell the, some of the stories I pick up there. But before it just wasn't like good. But now it's like it's acceptable because in some ways it's like more fun than a math a math lecture or whatever the students have to get through. So I think I think there's like, yeah, I, I'm 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 arguing both sides. I I feel lucky that there's ways to still connect i just i worry that this generation this next two years of students of, of humans will not understand what live music really is and it's it's like church without the god and just everybody like there's nights where you can feel it you know whether you're singing along or not you're tone deaf it doesn't matter like there's that thing that happens where people um, feel and 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 you see it for people who come to the show the first time i remember that for me where i was like I don't know what just happened. You know, I, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, but this was just the best thing ever. Um, and well, and there's so that connection that that. and that, uh, that, that socialization of uh, live performance that people desire, right? Because you yeah. can watch a zoom meeting 24 seven and you could just feel like you've just watched TV where if you're out and actually hearing the music in person, it's so much different. Well, and I think musicians like this whole idea of making yourself like mysterious and inaccessible in order to like increase value. Like, I think, I think we've been served a little, um, Paul Simons is a guy who runs a black sheep in. And I, I, I think he would agree with me. It's like, we've been served a little bit of like hoity toity soup. It's like, okay, well now, now nobody can play now. Now what's your value? You know, nobody can play and, and we're not sure when you can play again. And I feel like everybody would have taken that gig or done that like fundraiser or whatever if they knew. If we, you know, I would have said yes to so many more things if I'd known that it was all going to shut down in March. Now, one area that I want to talk about before we do wrap this up, uh, Craig, is your workshops. Uh, I find yeah. it fascinating that you go to schools, you go into these, uh, uh, you talk to these students about writing music, about uh, about music, writing music, and just music in general. How did yeah. this come about? Because uh, it, it seems so fascinating that you're willing to take your time and connect with uh, kids at that level. Well, I just remember, like, I just remember loving music and not loving 
high school. Like there's teachers definitely who who made all the difference, and and they're the ones who like encourage music and encourage extracurricular like project stuff. Um, I think college, I like I, I I feel lucky. I got to go to Hong Kong uh, last May. Last May, and uh, and it was basically working with students and 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 writing and the same thing and i they're not work they're not they're not they're nothing more than just like a okay we're gonna end with a song and it's like all the students are like i don't sing i'm like that's great we need graphic designers i don't know how to do i don't know how to do that i'm like okay well you're gonna figure out how to get it up on TuneCore, and just really politely taking away any excuses that we all have about uh, finishing things or writing things uh, uh, when I've traveled I just always meet so many people who are like I you know I, I have half a song and and their wife or their husband will come up and, be, and they'll be like it's been for 15 years and I'm like finish the fucking song finish it because because of like what we're experiencing right now right like um, your song is just as good and just as valid and so with the with the school workshops the idea is within a day and now it's spread out over a few sessions a group of kids are put together and they write the lyrics and if they're not going to perform it for me great i'm going to perform it for them and then they'll say they don't like the way i'm performing it i'll be like great so now we need to fix it and you need to perform it the way you want to and just you know this most recent because it was so unexpected we had um we were recording into phones almost exclusively there was always at least one student, male or female, who would take the lead for production. And I think that's what I never experienced as a teen uh, university student. Wanting to be a musician, there was never that like easy access of knowledge that there is now. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I also feel like if musicians have the opportunity to complain about how everything's terrible and streaming's ruined everything, everything's hard, wah wah. And so we have the opportunity to, 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 to be in that space, and that's that's fine, because it is hard, right? It it is a big shift, but it's not going away, and I'm not apologizing for it, but we just have to shift. And so I would rather be, the person walking in and going, I have a hundred million streams, and most of it's a happy accident, and here's why I'm telling you this because I think all of you should have two hundred million streams and it's really easy to get your music up. And so once they have the experience, I mean, there's been loads of terrible songs that have been written and put onto iTunes and Spotify by, by me, by like me pushing stuff, by, you know, and by awful, I mean, it had all the emotion and heart in the world and it just lacked tuning and other things. But there's also been some heartbreaking songs that these students have, have come out of nowhere. And I'm like, you're, you're 10 years ahead of me right now like please like whatever your parents try to make you study do it but just always do music on the side because I, I had i had people who encouraged me that way and otherwise like i was i was told that music was too risky and uh and i was doing really well like i had it but it was always a side hustle and so i want to take away all the excuses that the students have about creating and you don't have to do it full time to write a song and when they say, I can't write a song, somebody from their class would be like, well, wait a second, that guy came. 
and we have it online like it's irrefutable um, yeah one thing i want to ask though with everything that's going on in the world and it seems like there are budget cuts in our school system and arts and music seem to be the first one that's always cut do you find some students when you do the workshops with them are so energetic because they have someone that they can look up to like yourself who is now giving them their time to say let's write a song let's do this and they are so energetic about doing it because that that is their passion well i mean i would say i have like people like where i was blown away is that students were actually showing up because teachers for you know kind of from late march to to june teachers were like well nobody's been coming to my like it's really dropped off they would never say that and these are teachers who really like they did not have to to figure out all the zoom or the google meet technology with me and it was so much extra work for them and they just loved they believed in their students. Some of them hadn't even met their students in real life, and so um, yeah, I think it was. I think it was like just a new voice, who didn't have to. I didn't always have to be. Uh, I could. I could be a bit pushier probably than a teacher. I was in it for the, the sprint, the uh, the uncle sprint versus the uh, family marathon, and yeah, the kid. I mean, the the one group that came up with stuff, it was all about like, like, are we gonna have a summer? It was so pure. It was. It wasn't like, you know, rising rates in Florida and Donald Trump. It was. It was like we just want to have a bit of a normal summer and, and fall in love and, and you know, like, will it be okay to like meet my new boyfriend or girlfriend and and like, these really like sweet. Yeah, it is like really sweet things and just the fact that once it's like a stone soup story for me where, you know, you kind of just say, well, this is going to happen with you, with or without you. And then suddenly everybody's like, well, I've got a ukulele that my dad lets me play. Or I've, you know, the one guy had bagpipes. Wow. And he wasn't going to tell us at the end. And you know, like those kind of things where it's like, okay, well, how are you going to record them? I have no idea. And then, you know, the, the, the keener kid who's coordinating the project at this point is like, well, don't record them close. You'll blow, like, you'll blow the signal. It'll be too loud, you know? And, and at that point, you just kind of like step back and, you know, just give them caution when they're trying to use Shrek as their album art uh, for whatever reason. But, you know, it's like, well, it's copyright, guys. You don't own it. So I just, I get so excited about it. And um, yeah, we can talk about, because we don't get to talk about feeling stuff in school. It's like, it, I don't know why, but I... It's very regimented and very this, 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 and no time to talk about that uh, emotional part with teachers, with musicians and all that. I just, I also think there's just a lot of fear and that fear bleeds through. Like, I worked with, uh, I worked with 40 different teachers. We all wrote songs and like, like collaborate on lyrics. And, and there's just this, like, they wanted to be in the classroom and they just wanted to look after students. And there's this, it was so awesome seeing that. And it kind of like just took the wind out of the the whole like you know like teachers are failing students they're not they're we're all just doing the best we can they were all just doing the best they could students included and um, and you could really feel that in their writing like I, I I again I feel lucky to get to do these workshops because at the end of the day all I'm doing is just like politely pestering people to like finish and when they're like I can't I'm like oh let's problem solve you know how how can we and that's that's pretty much it. And what's the biggest obstacle holding people back of finishing items? Is it because they don't think it's good enough, or what? 
think that's part of it. Yeah, I think it's like our definitely ourselves, and definitely like the. I well, I think I think we've taught ourselves that singer songwriters are supposed to work by themselves at the kitchen table at two a.m. with the the eureka moment, when in fact, we would never let an author finish the book at two a.m. and then like put it out into the world at 800 pages we would say that's really great but it, it has to be 500 and it, this part doesn't make any sense and so i think like opening people up to the idea of like your idea is brilliant and you should feel confident sharing and there's people who might not be great songwriters but they can help you refine something to make it even better and be accountable to each other that's the the, the if, if you know if i tell you to write a song and i'll see you in a month I'm going to show up in a month and you're going to be like, yeah, sorry, you didn't finish it. But if I tell you like over, you know, in half an hour, I need a verse and then, and it's okay for us not to like the verse and I'm going to have a verse too. And I want you to not like it and tell me how to make it better. Those little milestones just cobbled together into a song, um, make it possible. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think not, not having, not having somebody to be accountable to in the writing process, fear of like, ego so we're so connected to it which working in groups takes away some of that because it's not about them per se unless they're comfortable sharing that and then the idea of just like i don't it's going to get done like if you have something that's crummy it's going to go into itunes and and that's what you're going to be remembered so there's like this what we're doing with the yellow night 48 hour music video it's like better you better be inspired because we only have another two hours you know uh, Craig, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I won't take up much more of your time. Greatly no, appreciate you. it. And it's been a great, great time chatting with you and getting to know a little bit more about your music style and your workshops. Because I always found it fascinating when I started researching about you. Well, I yeah, I appreciate you making the time. What What is this? What has been the common theme that you've been bumping into when you're talking to artists? So when I'm talking to artists, so the, my show is, uh, it talk, we talk to everyone, teachers, politicians, the gambit. Uh, right now we're, we're a little bit more focused on artists and there's a cross section. I can tell you that there's a cross section of people who are enjoying the lockdown, who are saying that it's given them time to write a little bit more. And I've talked to a few artists who say they have not written anything since the lockdown because they just don't have the inspiration because all they can think about is COVID-19. So they don't want to write story uh, art about uh, music about that and then there's artists who i talk to who say uh we had music started in earlier tw 2020 and we're just finishing it up and we're releasing it and we're looking forward to it yeah but the one yeah. thing and you the one thing that you did mention and uh, the, most of them all agree is if this goes past 2021 they don't know what they're going to do well i think we need to figure that out and when we talk about the idea of people being hungry for music I, we need to be better advocates like when I'm in schools I'm going to be like okay so you can't go to concerts but here's how the, the supply chain works for buying music and you become little advocates for it's not just good enough to listen on Spotify like if you like a band just even let them know help them like share on social media and become um, promoters of it otherwise it'll just be drowned out by whatever the labels can push through I, I, I also think and this is not a popular opinion it's like what we do right now is valuable, but we can't do it safely. Just like everybody can't do it safely. Like everybody's impacted and I'm some more than others. But I just think like 
I, I've, I've been really stuck in that like space of not, not like grieving. And, um, and it's like, well, okay. It's so, so now what, like, you know, is there any, is there any harm or, uh, is there any, is there anything wrong with, with, uh, finding, applying our skills somewhere else? Because there's so, when you're a musician, you, you're like good at 80 things to keep going, no matter what you think, right? And so the idea of just, you know, you're not, we're not full-time musicians anymore, but we're, we're going to record part-time and, and find ways that we can still connect and create, and we're going to do other things. Um, I, I just feel like that's a not very popular uh, opinion, but in the short term, I just think it'll help in moving forward and that there's no, there's no harm in... Um, in finding other other ways to sustain ourselves until we can do this again. No, and you're completely true. And uh, I, I hope, and I and I, I and I say this with all respect to the uh, the larger uh, uh, music industry uh, PR people, but I hope people take a time and don't just go for the uh, traditional bands and take a little bit out of their time to research and do listen to music that is produced by such an amazing group of people out there. And the great thing about my conversations that I've been having and my time researching is I've become fans of so many different music. So, so, so much different music today that I'm so looking forward to uh, growing with their music. So I'm looking forward to your new album. I'm like, I, I, now that I know it's coming out in the spring, I will be marking it down in my calendar. I'm looking forward to these four new songs that are going to be released. So I, I, I've become such new fans of new music with this show and talking to musicians because they all have stories to tell. They all have a reason to do it. And it, it seems that people need to start looking at those artists, right? Yeah. I, I wanted, I, I know it's out of sequence, but I, one thing I, I did want to mention that I, I didn't get to say before is that the reason I started doing workshops is that uh, one, I had a bunch of, I have a bunch of friends who were like camp counselors who become teachers. It's a natural Pokemon cycle. And I would, they would invite me because I would be out in Alberta or Saskatchewan or BC. And I also feel like there's the advocacy piece and the kind of like hand up that we all got. But I also feel like it can be such a vampire's life where you don't really connect with anybody except in this weird little box of a room with alcohol and you know it's like you're kind of there and then you're gone and at least at least if you're like contributing in some way to to the community and connecting with these students um i just i feel like I, yeah I, I just wanted to like share that idea that like rather than just ghosting and, and, and leaving uh it, it 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 gave touring a bit of a, a daytime daylight element that isn't normally there all the time that's true um craig once again i want to thank you so much for doing this uh greatly appreciate it thank you and i like i said i look forward to the new songs and the new album i'll be one of those people buying it on itunes for sure i really appreciate all this chris
Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye-bye.